if the athlete can figure out the solution to a problem themselves or at least lead the way to the solution, that's going to be more valuable than just taking direction and taking corrections and them depending on you to fix it. If I was a mediocre choreographer or thought I knew everything about women's gymnastics and I just kept her to myself, she wouldn't be nearly, nearly as good. There's so many coaches in Canada that have had a piece of Ellie's developments and really have been instrumental in helping her to be as good as she could be. And a less demanding training style has helped her continue until she's yeah 25 now and she's still going strong and that might not have been possible otherwise. Welcome to the Gymnastics Growth Show. My name is Nick Ruddock, a performance gymnastics coach providing world-class education, events and consultancy services to the international gymnastics and professional sports community. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing athlete and coach performance from grassroots to gold standard. Stay tuned to discover tactics and strategies designed to transform results for you and your athletes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 28 of the Gymnastics Growth Show with David Kikuchi. David has an impressive history in the sport, having been an artistic athlete representing Canada at both the Athens and Beijing Olympic Games. David is the personal coach to WAG national team athlete Ellie Black, who is also a double Olympian and has been one of the world's strongest all-around competitors in recent years, winning the all-around silver medal at the 2017 World Championships and finishing fourth at the recent World Championships in Stuttgart. David is also the national team senior lead for Team Canada. David and I were both delivering coach education and training sessions in Sydney at their annual gym sport clinic. It was actually the first time we'd met properly and I really enjoyed my time with him throughout the week, learning a lot from his presentations and his experience as an athlete, personal coach and now lead team coach. In this episode, we talk about David's influences, his experience as an athlete, working with Ellie and of course Team Canada and the importance of patience whilst coaching. Do let me know what you think of this episode by sharing your thoughts on social media, tagging me at Nick Ruddock and using the hashtag GymnasticsGrowth. Without further ado, let's get into episode 28 with Canadian David Kikuchi. Okay, David, thanks for joining me. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. All good. How has your day been? Uh, pretty good. We did some presentations and listened to some presentations and it was all, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's. Uh, I always find it interesting um, listening to other you know high level coaches talking because I often find with these trips you sometimes you're the sole speaker and you don't get the opportunity to listen to other people's stuff as well so it was really cool listening to yourself today I made um, stacks of notes and uh, learned a lot so it was good well thank you I don't do this very often so I they were brand new topics they were, they, were, they were great really good topics lots of engagement and uh, as I said before just so much experience behind it which makes the content Awesome. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that. And maybe we can delve into some of those topics now. Sure um, let's start with your career as an athlete, because obviously, we're, you know, you're a two-time Olympian, um, Athens and Beijing. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very cool. Um, what was your kind of entry into gymnastics? And then how did you get into the, the national team? What was that process? So both of my parents were gymnastics coaches. My dad is Japanese, so he competed for his university team in Japan, and he moved to Canada soon after where he met my mom, and she wasn't uh, into gymnastics until she met until she met him, and so she got into coaching after that, and 
Uh, so they were they were my coaches. My mom more helping out at a younger age, and my dad all the way, all the way through. So I was in the in the gym from a really young age all the time, and I really liked it. And yeah, so that's just that's what I did. And uh, coming from Nova Scotia, it's it's a smaller province, and it's not not uh, usually one of the one of the top provinces in gymnastics. Uh, and so I didn't have uh, competition against the best ones in the country or, or any really big hopes. But I, I got to the national championships when I was 12 years old for the first time. And I went every year and I moved along the levels and I was usually, you know, around the middle of the categories or down, down below. I might, I might do pretty well on one event at a time or something like that. Yeah. Uh, then I, when I got to junior, I think my last year junior, I made the very bottom of the junior national team. And so that was pretty exciting. And then when I moved up to senior, you know, there was a lot of great athletes in front of me. And so I wasn't on the national team right away. But after a couple of years, I, I worked my way back on and uh, eventually got myself good enough to, to make the national team and then some of the big Canadian teams. Nice. Yeah, awesome. And then um, obviously Athens being your first Olympics, was, was the Olympics always an objective for you in your mind? Was it like a, a realistic goal that you were working towards? The Olympics were not, were not really a goal for me at all uh, until maybe, you know, a couple of years before it happened. Uh, from, from a younger age, I thought, wouldn't it be great if, if I went to the world championships someday? But that was more like, more like a dream for the most part. And Canada on the men's side uh, at that point hadn't qualified to the Olympics in, in 20 odd years. And so it, it, uh, the Olympics weren't, weren't a big, uh, a big realistic goal for me. And even the world championships weren't really a realistic goal until, until, yeah, until they were close to happening. Yeah. And so did you slot in through, you know, just hard work, like the last couple of years, things kind of fell into place for you? What, what, what was the difference there? What was the shift? Uh, I think part of it was I outlasted a lot of, okay. a lot of athletes who, who were better than me uh, for, through the younger ages, and I kept improving. But then something I mentioned today uh, at the conference was that uh, when Edward Yarov came to be the national coach for Canada, that made a big impact on me and my gymnastics, and he worked a lot with me. And uh, he gave confidence that even though at, at that point I wasn't part of the main team, if I learned you know, this, this, and this skill, uh, I, I would be in the running. And, and so I, it was so motivating for me to have heard that and for him to have an interest in me. And so I worked harder than ever back home and, and learned some of these skills that I probably didn't think I was going to be capable of, of or wasn't even willing to work on mm. before. And, and I got them because I was so motivated. And then I did make the team and I stayed on the team for a while. That's amazing. I mean, and you made a real point today, didn't you, of saying that, you know, just a few minutes with Yarov and having those kind of discussions really changed your mentality around what you were capable of doing. Um, yeah, at least just just trying some of those skills out and that completely transform your future. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like one of the main skills I remember was Bell on P-bars, the double back to, to upper arm. And I could do a giant and it was okay. Um, but, you know, that skill in particular, you know, that was for the athletes that were really good and not really for me. And it was scary and, you know, that probably hurt my, hurt my arms to catch like that. And so I wasn't that interested in, in yep. doing that and didn't really believe that that was a skill that was going to be possible for me. But that's one of them that he pointed out and said he liked my, my swing and, you know, how quick I could be 
mm. on with with my with my movements, and he thought that would be you know a high value skill that I could learn. And so since he he believed that that was going to be something possible for me, I I worked really hard and uh, with my dad, and we found a way to do it. And actually, just remembering right now, the first one I ever did was was terrible. Um, <laughs> I was gonna catch it for the first time uh, on 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 the real bars with it with a mat in, and somebody was gonna slide the slide the mats in place for my arms. But when I actually did it, I opened up I opened up my arms great at the right time, but I also opened up my legs and straddled oh, no. when it was time to catch. So I smashed my legs and. <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but I didn't <laughs> didn't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so after that, they got better. But you have you have permission to do that on your first go. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great, isn't it? How um, you know always say having the right coach can break down those kind of limiting beliefs because we've all got them. And in your case, it was this is my ability. I'm not capable maybe of doing some of these skills, and yet they've um, you've smashed through those limiting beliefs with someone just kind of giving giving you that um, that belief in yourself and your your abilities, which is incredible. Really, yeah, really cool. so that was a really important mm. important thing. It was only a couple minute conversation, and there was only maybe a month or two between that and and the trials for for world championships in two thousand one. And I was definitely on the outside looking in yeah. in between that time. But I I went to the trials, and uh, yeah, I did really well and made the team. And the rest, yeah, the rest all rest followed. Rest is history. Yeah, congratulations, man. It's awesome. And and I think it's a bit of a trend. I think. Um, it's important that coaches back their athletes as well. You know, from a per- I know this was a national coach scenario, but um, I've I've come across personal coaches that that really do back their athletes. Like they're just striving all the time, and um, they're the biggest fan of their athletes, which is you know is is absolutely right, um, and almost to the, to the, an extent which you think they're being unrealistic about what they say their athlete will or, or can do. Um, but sometimes just having that conviction and having that confidence in your own athletes instills that self-belief in, in them as well and, and helps them to achieve their goals. So I think it's, um, it's great, really cool. And you just mentioned there that it was your, your dad was your coach, right? Yeah. How did you find that? Uh, so that was, you know, I've, I've been asked that question a lot okay. before and it was, it was fine. Yeah. You know, that's just the way that it was. And we got along fine. He he wasn't a a really demanding coach or in your face. He's really calm and uh, yeah, patient. Yeah. And so I think that's the main reason why it worked. If he was if he was otherwise uh, and then you have to go home and, and have the same thing at home, it wouldn't have worked too well. But it was yeah, really relaxed and the gym stayed at the gym for the most part uh, and, and home was different. But in the gym, yeah, really a laid back, a laid back person, and uh, my my approach to gymnastics as an athlete and now as a coach, uh, and pretty much my whole personality is is kind of based on how he how he was and how he is. So the Japanese culture, Japanese traits that you, I mean, what you're saying there makes me resonate. One of my first clients was the Japanese national team, actually. And, and I had that kind of perception when I was there. Coaches were very calm. It was a very focused environment. Um, it was very technical still as well. Um, very respectful, of course. So you, you've you kind of adopted some of those traits, obviously, from your father, which is bound to happen, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice to hear because I really respect oh, the Japanese uh, math, mass, culture I, and I the gymnastics and, yeah. and everything. And yeah, just to have pieces of that is is great. Mm. Yeah, for sure. It's it's been it was one of the probably is the most unique environment I've been into from a from a cultural perspective. I mean, I've been in 
as you know, I've worked with sort of 23, 24 nations, and uh, but that was the one that stands out. A lot of people have said, you know, who who was the most different? I'd say I'd say it was the Japanese, yeah. but in, in in a good way. It was such a I had such a great time there. Um, yeah, it's it's so different and you know just being respectful uh, the athletes being respectful of the coaches and of each other and the equipment and the venue and everything and uh you know cleaning up at the end of the day and that's something that uh, my dad and uh the other the other head coach uh when when they started with his name is keiji amanaka and so Mm -hmm. that's something they they brought to to alta gymnastics that's the gym where i where i've always been at uh and so yeah, we keep we keep doing we keep doing some of those things still. Yeah, no, awesome. Um, so you mentioned Yarov as well, um, Edward, that had come in as the national coach. Yeah, in two thousand, I don't know, I can't remember if it was two thousand or two thousand and one. Yeah, uh, but he came in around that time to be the national coach, and so we had a, a great group of athletes and coaches who were who were ready to really work hard and work together, and our in 2000, the team had centralized and really was doing everything they could to to qualify for those Olympics. And in 99, uh, they had kind of a disastrous competition and didn't qualify. And it had been a long time since Canada had qualified. And then most of those guys moved on after after 99. And so coming into 2001, we really had low expectations kind of for our own team and then from the outside because it was so new and the team hadn't done well the year before Uh, but we went into 2001 and I think we placed 12th there as a team at Worlds and that was a huge surprise to everyone ourselves included and then from that point that's where we kind of saw that it was might be possible to qualify to the Olympics and that hadn't really crossed my mind anyway that you know we might be able to do it as a team and so we uh, together we decided you know we were going to do whatever it took and so the goal became to qualify in 2003 in Anaheim uh, for Canada and uh, doing that doing that in 2003 was my greatest Mm -hmm. uh, you know athletic athletic memory and feat that that we had done and to, to be the first team to do it in so long and to to achieve that goal that had been two years in the making, that was, you know, that was the the best moment. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's very, very cool. Um, obviously, Edward was uh, Valeri Lukin's coach. Yes. So, you know, in great company with regards to, uh, well, a great technician. Yeah, so he, he is unbelievable uh, as, a, as a technician and, you know, way beyond anybody else I've ever worked with. And so he, he helped me personally, personally a lot. Uh, and, you know... Yeah, he's a big reason of why we were able to qualify in 2004 and then do it again in, yep. in 2008. Mm. Um, was Rodinenko uh, the women's national coach at the time? Yeah, so Andre Rodinenko yep. uh, around the same time. He, he was there before. He was there in 2000. I, I can't remember on the girls' side if yep. he was there much before that, but he was there in 2000 and, and stayed for, for quite a while before he went back to, back to Russia. So a really strong Soviet influence within the Canadian system throughout that kind of period then. Yeah. So you, yeah. even now there's there's a lot of Russian coaches on the men's side and the women's side and producing some of our very top athletes. Uh, and so I work really closely with the women's national team right now and all their coaches. And yeah, two of our top ones are Elena Davidova and Elvira Sadi, and they're always producing top athletes. And so they have Brooklyn Moores and Anna Pateraru on this current team. Yep. and. 
Uh, so yeah, everybody's leaning on their technical technical expertise a lot. Mm. Yeah, that's no, great. It's great, really good. So it's an integral part still of of the system. And I yeah, guess that's sure. influenced a lot of the um, well, just the technical way, maybe the methods, methodology, and the techniques that you guys are using. Yeah, and in Canada, uh, something that I really have grown to appreciate in uh, is that kind of our current style is is a little bit all over the place and we don't have one Canadian Canadian style um, but that allows all kinds of different athletes to to thrive and if you're an LA black type athlete you don't have to do things exactly the same way as a Brooklyn Moores or a Shalin Olsen or yep. an Anna Paterari or a, you know Isabella Onishko and everybody can excel in their own way and whatever is going to help them to be at their best then they're allowed to do it that way uh and, yep. and really trusting trusting them and their personal coaches to to know to know themselves and how to prepare how to prepare themselves best for for the big competitions yeah one of my notes here was how diverse a team it is which yeah. i think is a positive thing i mean it's typical of a club-based system which you are isn't it? You, you know you're not a centralized system with the wag program so I think that diversity is a, a good thing it's nice to see a diverse team yeah like thinking if if Ellie had to do the same workload that Isabella does or Anna does, you know, she she wouldn't still be around. And if and if some of the others followed the the same training plan that Ellie has, they wouldn't be ready. You know, everybody needs different things, yeah. and so we're able to have things organized that they can they can do what they need. Mm. So when so when they're at a camp, for example, I mean, how often would you meet as a national team? Uh, it, it depends. We've got maybe three or four camps for the whole national team. Uh -huh. And then uh, anytime we've got a big competition, we'll meet first for half a week or a week uh, yeah. to, to be together before we go. And then uh, we might have some other smaller ones here and there for, mm. for a few of them. And so but there's the flexibility for them to continue the, their kind of personal program, even when they're in a camp situation. So yeah, for sure. Not, not everyone's got to do the same plan. So we might know on on day three there's a mock meet and everybody's got to do that yeah uh and then day four we've got you know there will be some specific things that everybody has to work on based on how the mock meet went and then day five is another mock meet but uh the training before and you know if you need to do extra stuff after the mock meet or what you do on the first day is is more up to the personal coaches because uh you know i i stepped into the the national team lead uh role with the senior team earlier this year uh and but for sure, I don't know better what's gonna what's gonna help these other national team athletes than their own personal coaches, and so yep. that's a freedom that uh, I have been given over the past couple of years with the with the previous national team coaches, and I really appreciate being able to do that with with Ellie and uh, doing things the way that I think is going to work best for her mm. uh, and not necessarily following a strict plan every day that everybody has the same. Uh, so now in this leadership position, I want to continue that and give people the ability to to do what they think is going to be best for their athletes while still having a team aspect and making sure that we're all doing some key activities yeah. at the same time. Yeah, it's still structure to it, but there's just that that freedom for coaches to do what they feel is the best program. And you're right, no one knows an athlete like the personal coach. You know, they're the people that know how they're training day in, day out, don't they? Know yeah, what absolutely. they can cope with, know what the volume's supposed to be and, and help them peak at the right time. So no, I think it's smart, very smart. Um, how did you get into coaching in the first place? How did you transition from your, I mean, did you start, did you stop straight after Beijing and then go into coaching or what did that look uh, like? Well, I had coached, uh, you know, when I was 16 years old uh, in just some recreational classes and then, 
went into competitive a, a little bit uh, when I was, you know, going to the Olympics in 2004. I wasn't doing much coaching, but uh, after 2004, I really had a big decision to make whether I was going to continue training or not. Uh, and it, it was a really close call. But in the end, I decided to to keep coaching or to keep training until 2008. And uh, and but by the end of that, I knew I was going to be done after that. And so uh, I got I got a a job at the gym coaching, uh, but like a full time position in late 2007 into 2008 while I was still training but I couldn't I couldn't do it with a younger group where most people would start their coaching uh because our our gym uh there's only you know evening training times for competitive and yeah. so there's not all kinds of different uh times of it or there weren't at that time and so I had to work with the older athletes and so I'm really grateful that my dad uh kind of gave me though that group of older athletes to work with so i was training and uh coaching at the same time for the last okay. for my last year uh and actually some of that i had a, a girls group as well so I, I was really busy in the gym uh but yeah that's that's how i started and then after after i was done competing i continued with that i was the provincial coach on the men's side for Nova Scotia for a couple of years uh and then yeah I transitioned back to just being a club coach and uh started on the men's side only and then I, I started working with Ellie a little bit uh in 2010 2011 and using some of my uh my own personal national team experiences as an athlete to try and help her with some of that because she was uh she was a national level athlete, but not not ranking very high. Uh, but she definitely had some some good qualities. And her her coach KG didn't didn't really feel comfortable going to the national federation and asking questions and advocating for her. And he he really didn't like traveling or competitions or training camps. And those things were all things that I was interested in. Uh, and so I started working more with with her as well, uh, along with coaching, co coaching on the men's side. And so that ended up working really well for her because eventually she became the oldest one in the gym and then the oldest one by far on the women's side. But I, I had this really great group of guys yeah. that were about her same age and they trained basically together. And so she did have a training group where I, kn I, I know for, for some of uh, the elite female athletes it's hard because there's not that many of them there mm -hmm. at that age and so it was really great for her uh, and so she she did and still does train more in a a men's type of style uh, traditionally than a than a women's style and so she doesn't she doesn't have as many hours and doesn't do as many reps as uh, I'm sure most of the most of the female gymnasts are doing yep uh, and so I think that part has really helped her along with along with being kind of a late bloomer and not traveling all around the world and really uh working yourself so hard from a young age uh that along with uh you know a, a less demanding training style has helped her continue until she's yeah 25 now and she's still going strong and that might not have been possible otherwise Okay, so yeah, you mentioned there that she was quite a late bloomer in terms of her gymnastics. She seems to have got better as she's got older, despite the fact that she's now um, she's you know above average age for a, an athlete at world championships. Although the, that trend is definitely rising, 
Um, what do you think that's down to? Is it your patient approach to coaching that's allowed her to kind of continue to, to blossom or is there something else behind it? I, th- I think that's got to be part of it. Uh, also, she's really a motivated athlete and always wants to be always wants to be better. And so every year, you know, after the big meet of the year, we, we plan for the next year and she she's looking for ways to to improve and be better and yeah. and rank higher than than the year before or at least you know uh she she wants to rank higher i i think about it a different way i'd rather instead of ranking which can change uh every day or it's based on how other people are doing i'd rather kind of try and measure her progress against the other top athletes in the world given her best day. So, you know, with all the practice she's done at home, uh, you know, with, with all that work and how good she's gotten at home, where would that put her? And so if, you know, if all that work puts her, you know, possibly into the top six, then great. If it's possibly top three, even better. But then it's not all balancing on how one day goes at the end of the year. It's more yep. about you worked this hard, this year and every other year and you've gotten yourself to be in the mix with these top however many athletes and Mm. to me that's more important than you know how one specific day goes yeah and how do you think your experience as an athlete has impacted the way that you can work with someone like ellie uh a lot i guess uh and we're as as athletes we're almost completely different right um for me i wasn't that talented and I wasn't that daring um and so my way onto the national team and onto Canada's representing Canada was through really clean really smart stable steady routines that you could count on a hundred percent and so my role on every event except for rings was to go up first for Canada mm-hmm. and I kind of advocated that for myself and you know talk to Edward and like you know let me go up first let me do it I will hit my routine and set us up and uh yeah so I I kind of built that role for myself and that that's what I did I I wasn't the the flashy flashy one with the big skills uh yeah. and you know I made some all-around finals at world championships but I was you know really near the bottom of of those and I, I didn't have any really standout events you know rings was my best one but I I wasn't ever good enough to make a final uh, but Ellie, on the other hand, has a lot of uh, natural power and she can really do more. And so she has the the ability to make finals uh, if things go well and if she takes some risks. And especially early on in her career, she took more more risks uh, just to be able to have the chance to, to make it to a final if everything goes well. And then later on, she got better and at some of the other outlying parts of her routine and so didn't need to take so much risk anymore just to be able to make the final and so it's changed a little bit but uh still I think from from my own career I had to be really selective with which skills I was doing and paying attention to the e score and the d score and the balance and the the risk versus reward uh, just to make the team and and give myself a spot, and for her, it's it's more of the same questions, but to be among the top in the world and to try and be one of the leaders of the Canadian team, and what's going to help to get those higher goals. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess kind of the same process, but she's a, a different different level of athlete than I was. Yeah, yeah. 
So you're now the national team senior lead. Yes. As well as obviously being Ellie's personal coach. Correct. Are you still coaching some mag as well? Uh, yeah. And so for for a long time, I had a, a big group of boys and that was incredible. Uh, of, of older boys, like past past high school. Uh, but it's, it's dwindled down. So I don't have too many of them yep. anymore, especially this year. Uh, so, But I, I do coach them at the same time. And so her main... Her main training partner, his name is Jeremy Bartholomew, and he's a you know Canadian national team member, and uh, yeah, so they work really well together, and I coach them at the same time. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so I, I work most of the time with or in my club, and then when we go to camps or competitions, and I I'm in charge of everybody. Yeah, yeah, you're wearing a lot of hats then. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's good though really good and it's a club-based system in canada so i mean pretty similar to like i said most nations now are training in a club-based system has it always been that way um on the woman's side you mentioned the mag side was centralized at one point has the women's program been centralized before or in Uh, recent years not yeah not recently and i not that i can ever remember and and canada is pretty big uh and you know it's expensive to to travel everywhere but yeah, it, it's it's really hard to to centralize, and you've got to give up your whole life, I guess, sure. to to be able to move there. And so it it hasn't really come up lately as a as a possibility. And, and I don't think it would be the best option anyway. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I don't think anyone really should should have to do that now. But yeah, right now, right now we've been doing so well, and uh, we've got a great group. A great group of athletes and coaches that are all working together, and uh, yeah, these have been some of the amazing, the most amazing results for ever for Canada over the past couple of years. Mm, it's been amazing to see, and they're, they're a great team to watch. Really, really cool. Yeah. How about um, the challenges that you face as a nation? I would imagine, like you just mentioned, that the fact that your country is so big. I mean, I remember when I was in a national coaching position for GB. You know, I was able to get from one end to the country and the other and, you know, or at least where the clubs were in kind of four, maybe five hours tops, you know, now for you guys, you're jumping on planes to travel. I mean, it's not really feasible for someone to be, um, or maybe it happens, I don't know, but obviously the budget is going to need to be a lot higher for people to be flying around the country, working with athletes in the clubs from a national program. So is that, I mean, is that one of the challenges that you've got? For sure. Canada is a huge country and we do have kind of pockets around Toronto and around Montreal that generally have more athletes. So that yep. makes it a little bit easier. Uh, I'm from Halifax. LA is the only, only one from there. Mm. And so, and then, yeah, as far as Vancouver and it takes whatever, eight hours to fly from Halifax to Vancouver. <laughs> uh, so it's hard to do those things and it's expensive. So any competitions that we have are expensive. Any training camps uh, are expensive. One thing that's made it way easier in the, in the past few years is, you know, FaceTime and being able to send videos and take videos and that's so, yep. so easily. So that's made it a lot, a lot better for us. And I'm leading into world championship and Pan Ams this year. Mm. Uh, we had like a group chat and, you know, we had a, uh, an assignment, you know, pretty much weekly, you know, send in these routine videos and we're going to try and make them, our, our team score has to be this high or mm-hmm. whatever. And so we can, we can work together remotely that way, uh, in ways that weren't always possible before. Yeah. So you just, you find the closest solution that you can to the ideal really, I guess, don't you? Yeah. It's all, all that you can do. It, it, it does always interest me. And I think maybe the gymnastics fans out there, spectators 
don't always respect the different challenges that some of these some countries have you know they just see the athletes on this on the, the world stage but i mean your conditions are entirely different to what um i don't know the gb's conditions would be and even things around funding um you know coaching education there's, there's so many different variables from from country to country yeah it's 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 always it's always different and you know the uh some of the, you know, the top countries you might think they have everything perfectly laid out for them but uh, i'm sure that's not not always the case and uh you know our funding is better uh, on the women's side than it than it was before we because of our our strong results the last couple of years but uh you know we got those results without the benefit of this funding at the beginning and it's for sure helping and and making things easier and giving more opportunities which hopefully will will help to continue this success and and give us more but it's yeah it's 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 different everywhere and you know just traveling to different places is is really eye opening yeah yeah um a bit about you how would people describe you as a coach uh i'm pretty laid back and uh patient i guess mm-hmm. and and depending on my role, it can be a little bit different. But with the national team, we've got some coaches who are really uh, more more bent on making sure everything is perfect all the time and uh, are more intense, I guess. And so with those athletes, I, I kind of play the other side. And so I'm, I'm less intense yep. uh, to try and balance it out. Um, but with with some people who who maybe have coaches that are more my personality, I'll I'll try and be a little more ramp it up uh, a little bit, yeah, and mm. you know be a, a little bit more insistent on on what they need to do. And uh, but yeah, in general, I'm really even keeled uh, all the time, and. Uh, so you know, sometimes that does have challenges if it, if it calls for somebody to uh, to excite the team or to you know some rah rah stuff. That's usually not me. Yeah. Um, but if if there's any problems or things going wrong, then I'm good to not panic and you just say take a step back. So actually, you know, we can handle this situation. We've done all kinds of things that are, that have been similar to this and it's not really that big a deal and you know we can we can handle this and we can move forward yeah yeah i guess what you're saying there is how important it is to have a team which is quite diverse amongst your coaches so you've got the okay the higher intensity versus the lower intensity but you complement each other don't you so um a lot of teams they look to be surrounded by people that are just exactly the same as them but i think then you miss out on that diversity and and getting different ideas in and like you said sometimes you need to turn it on and you might not be the right person to do that but you've got because you've got a better person that can do that instead so um yeah i think that's really important yeah absolutely and especially right now with with the skill set of our our coaches we've got uh, a really strong technical group uh and that's not my my forte especially on the women's side you know i i just jumped into it uh my my strengths are around the planning and strategy and getting everybody to to be on the same page and understanding exactly what it is we're trying to do and how we're gonna how we're gonna get that done uh and even with with ellie uh it turned out to be super helpful for her that i was not a really knowledgeable women's coach okay uh because we had to we had to go out and seek help from from all the experts around canada especially around choreography and leaps and those kind of things where i know really nothing uh 
we we went to some of the best people in Canada. And so, you know, there's so many coaches in Canada that have had a piece of Ellie's development and really have been instrumental in helping her to be as good as she could be. And she really had no choice. If she wanted to be good, she had to listen yeah. and had to take in their advice and and be okay with that. And for me, if I wanted her to be good, I had to go out and, and seek those mm. those people and ask questions and, and you know, tell Ellie, no, you, we've, we've got to do it this way. Whereas if I was a mediocre choreographer or thought I knew everything about women's gymnastics and I just kept her to myself, she wouldn't be nearly nearly as good and so that part being uh having weaknesses but knowing it and then going out to seek the answers from from the best that we've got really was instrumental i think that's really powerful as a, as a message to the listeners because you're you're putting ego aside and putting the athlete at the center of decisions and, and recognizing um well it's self-awareness isn't it knowing exactly who you are what your strengths are um and then driving smart decisions based around that. And then everybody, everybody wins, you know, like you've, you are able to then work with Ellie as she improves and develop, uh, you know, Ellie gets to represent Canada and it's win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everyone's and part of that success. Yeah, so. and, uh, we, we are still, you know, we ask uh, help from, from all kinds of people, coaches and judges. And so when people, you know, when they're really excited to, to help Ellie and she's really grateful for, for their help uh, even now. And, so having, you know, working with people and listening to what they're saying and putting it into action is, is really exciting for everybody. And so more people become part of your story. And she's, she's a great person and a great athlete and a great leader. And so all those things put together uh, help with our, our team dynamic. And if she's the example out there for the Canadian team of how you treat people and how you, uh, how you show yourself every day. Um, that's a, a really great example for, for everyone to be following. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Something that you mentioned today was um, that something that you enjoy doing is helping athletes that maybe don't believe in themselves, or don't believe they can do something. You then like to, uh, or you enjoy the process of helping them to achieve a skill that they, they didn't think that they could possibly ob- attain. Is that maybe linking back to your own kind of thoughts as an athlete with, with uh, Yarov? Is that, is that why, do you think, or is it uh, separate? Yeah, I'm sure I've, I've thought about that a couple of times, and I'm sure there's a link yep. there because, you know, bec- because, you know, that was such a big part of my development uh, was him believing in me, him, the national coach, believing in me uh, and what I was able to, to do with that. It's... I really enjoy uh, being able to help athletes of all levels with with whatever trouble they're they're having, and so in my own club or anywhere else, I you know if I have some spare time, I, I like look, looking for people that are you know having some trouble with something and and trying to f- help them to find a way through it or around it or whatever whatever way is going to work and to uh, to push through things and to achieve things that that they didn't think they were going to be able to do. And just to see, you know, how that helps them feel so good about themselves and what they're doing. And then it unlocks other, other doors. And, you know, if I can, well, if I can do this, then I can probably do that. And once you do that a couple of times, you know, the, the sky's the limit. And, talent wise you know your your top athletes in your country or in your club uh, or whatever it is are going to be a little bit different than the rest but you know most most athletes are going to be able to reach a, a pretty decent level 
if they if they stick with it and if they believe and if they work hard and uh just because you're not the very most talented one doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to to be pretty good and so to help those those ones get past what they thought were really roadblocks for them is is super exciting for me yeah nice really really cool um solution-based thinking was something that you talked about today as well as opposed to what would would the opposite to solution-based thinking be so here i I, yeah today i used ellie as an example not not so much in a positive way but in in things that we're working on but yeah sometimes uh because she's self-motivated and a perfectionist if things aren't going the way she wants in a practice uh or if she's not feeling that great she can get pretty down on herself or feeling pretty negative and at that point and it's not just her there's there's lots of athletes that i've worked with and i'm sure everybody gets like that sometimes but uh when you feel like that you tend to think about all the all the problems that are that are hurting you right now and you you can name off 20 of them at any given time and you know if and it's usually uh, attached to stress and there's usually some kind of important event coming up and then you start thinking about, well, I'm not doing this as well as I should right now and I used to do it before and, you know, this competition is coming up in two weeks and, you know, what if I can't do it then and I'm, I'm so sore and I'm tired and, you know, it, it's it's not going well and what if it doesn't go well and what if I can't do it at the competition and what are people going to think and the people are going to see this and then I might not make this and if I don't make this, then, you know, world championships isn't going to go and with that, then we don't qualify to the Olympics and, you yeah. know, and it spirals just because you had three turns that weren't very good. Uh, and so if you are in that spiral, then, you, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get yourself out of it sometimes and you're, if you're there, you're probably not going to be have a very useful next turn and uh and if you don't then it's going to be even worse and you know it can keep going that way uh and so she's getting she's gotten a lot a lot better at uh moving more quickly to solution-based thinking and so you know all of those all of those worries that she has or the negative thoughts or you know the the troubles the difficulties that are going on you know are are true and are real and are there and I acknowledge them and she can acknowledge them uh and it's it's, she's not making that out I believe her and you know everything everything is real uh but usually what I'll say is you know these things are going on and I understand it completely and it's it's really tough this is not an easy thing gymnastics is not easy Mm. uh when you're having a tough time it's not easy but you know we're we're gonna try and move forward and and get better. And so, given all of these negative things that are going on right now, uh, so we can say those are those are true and those are happening, and it sucks. Uh, so, given that, what can we do now? What can we do uh, to improve from this situation? So, you know, you, yep, every everything you're saying, I agree with. Now, what are we gonna do? And once you start thinking about, well, what am I going to do now? Or how am I going to get it better? Or, you know, thinking about a solution, uh, it's so much faster to to get to where you want to go or to get out of your problem. Uh, and usually, if you have some kind of problem that's just uh, crept up, it's, it's not going to be a big deal. And uh, it may be just, 
you, that you're tired or you're in a bad mood and so you your brain is processing things differently and so you're having trouble with something and as soon as you snap out of it it's back to normal and you feel good again and then you can keep moving on some things take a little bit longer but as as long as you're searching for for a solution uh it's going to be so much faster to find it and it may not be the solution that you're initially looking for or you know the direction you go in first but as long as you're going somewhere looking for an answer yeah uh you'll probably find find something yeah no it's great advice and they say where where focus goes energy flows so if you focus yeah, on the solutions then it's yeah it's going to come around so no i like that i like that a lot um so have you got any advice to coaches then that are listening with regards to um being more patient because again that's that in itself is is a patient approach isn't it um, yeah. so have you got some advice to coaches that maybe maybe listening need to adopt a bit more of your your kind of patient approach which is clearly working yeah i think that uh Maybe if you try and keep in mind that if the athlete can figure out the solution to a problem themselves or at least lead the way to the solution, that's going to be more valuable than just taking direction and taking corrections and them depending on you to fix it. Because you you really want them to know how to do their gymnastics under any circumstances, no matter what's happening. And so if there's a problem and they know what to do and they can fix it, then they can feel confident about that and it's not a big deal and they're more likely to perform better. And so anytime that you are kind of leaving them to to figure it out or uh, letting, letting them lead the way to an answer, it's going to be positive in the end. It, it may be slower to figure out the answer right away. Uh, but it's going to be more useful in the end if they can figure it out. And then also, you know, if somebody's having trouble with something for a couple turns or in a competition warm-up or whatever, uh, there's usually some kind of different circumstance that's going on from normal. And if you go and change, if you step in and try and change technique or, or you know, really do something differently than you normally do, then that has a, a decent chance of kind of backfiring on you because then they're questioning themselves and, you know, you've got two two different ways to do it now. And uh, and if that doesn't work, what then? Uh, whereas if you can be more patient and, and say, you know, let's just try a couple more and I think it'll be back to normal and you'll feel more comfortable again. Or even like today, you know, it just wasn't a great day. We'll leave it till tomorrow. And a lot of the time it's just going to come back and, and be fine a little bit later and it, it may not be as fine if you step in and try and change a lot of mm. a lot of things about it uh and, and sometimes you do have to step in and do that and there's all kinds of different situations but in general uh, to me if you can be more patient uh it's going to be better i think as coaches obviously we always want to step in and fix things we're fixers aren't we like that was wrong how can i fix it yeah and um, i guess what you're, you're saying there is that by the athlete figuring it out they're developing their own problem solving um, skills which will remove the dependency on a individual coach yeah and and for the ego i think dependency is good you know it makes us feel good as coaches that are oh, my athlete needs me she needs me to stand in and she needs my advice i mean it's great for the ego but it's not good for the athlete mm-hmm. um and as, you know if yeah. if the athlete is taking a bigger role then their their responsibility is also uh, going up and their accountability. And so, you know, if you're only following directions and doing what your coach says, it's, it, it's not really your, 
skin that's on the line mm. uh, in the competition or whatever. You know, I, I did what my coach said and it, it didn't turn out. Or I did what my coach said and my coach is so awesome and I won everything. But it's, you know, it you don't have that same sense of self and putting putting mm-hmm. yourself into it whereas if you take more responsibility and more accountability then when things aren't going as well i think you're more likely to to dig deeper uh if it's more personal mm, try to find you. your own solutions and it, too and yeah it's not you you don't blame your coach or mm-hmm. you, you you couldn't find the answer for me or you don't know the the equipment was this or whatever whatever things are out there it's okay well this situation is difficult but i yeah. i've got to find I've got to find a way. Yeah, and we all, we all know that there's times, particularly at a national team level, when your athlete might be away without you. You know, they, yeah. they go to the competition and you're not with them on the floor. So that's another time where you don't want that dependency. Yeah, for sure. And uh, one example is at the 2012 Olympics where Ellie made the team and she was the last one onto the team and I wasn't a team coach. I wasn't in the village. I didn't get access to any trainings at all the whole time. Right. And I watched from from the from the nosebleed section mm-hmm. uh, and it, it was so hard for me but she was prepared yep. and yeah i our our team coaches at the time i i wrote out like a couple of really long pages on on this is all how to do it. this is to, what you need to do yeah if she does this and do this and if she thinks this then do this but uh it wasn't i, I don't think they really uh, read everything and they didn't really need to that was maybe more for for me but she was prepared and uh, but yeah, it, it was a difficult situation, um, and it was different. You know, the biggest competition of her life, and suddenly your coach isn't there. Uh, but yeah, we we did a good job preparing, and the team coaches did a great job, and everybody was comfortable, and it worked well. Uh, and he he said something about ego a little bit earlier, and uh, I stand in on bars for Ellie every every routine she does, and at home, and and it's on the pack, and the pack is its own thing it's I, and i know it's not it's not the greatest pack there ever was but um yeah that's been her, her toughest skill and so I, I stand in i would much rather not be standing in mm. uh and sometimes at home uh she'll do a couple without anybody but it, she's more comfortable yeah with with somebody with somebody standing there but yeah I, i'd rather oh I'd for rather sure not do that yeah and 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 for the avoidance of doubt stat, i don't think standing in is an egotistical thing at all you know yeah. standing in is we're there for safety um i much prefer to stand in for bars mm-hmm. for the safety of the athlete um however i've been guilty of of wanting to be the only person that stands in for a certain oh. athlete which is a which is an ego thing um i can remember when even when i was a national coach it was kind of like if this kid needed support it had to come from me for no other reason that it was just good for my ego you know and I think that's the that's the risk in terms of almost the coach becomes there's this codependency Mm -hmm. the 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 athlete becomes dependent on the coach which is not what you want um and the coach becomes dependent on the athlete for their ego and for the validation of making them feel good which is where I was coming from um you know in, in younger years so um I guess that was the context behind when I was saying about um you know spotting because of course, spotting is a part of what we do. It is important, yeah. but so with with spotting, there's I'm not a spotter when I'm there on bars. Mm. I'm, I'm not there for safety issues other than she's more Confidence. comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if, if something goes wrong, I there's nothing that I'm going to be able to yeah. to do for her. Uh, 
and even I tried before a couple of years ago uh, with some of her releases, if she missed to try and feather, catch her and slow her down. Her down. <laughs> but, you know, it, I was just punching her in the stomach oh, and then yeah. we'd both get flattened at the end. So it, it, that part didn't last too long. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned ego. And so uh, I started working with Ellie in 2010, 2000, a, a little bit. And so her her coach from the beginning, his name is Keiji Yamanaka. He's Japanese uh, as well as my dad. They went to the same university in nice. Japan. Um, he he has the least amount of ego of anybody I've ever I've ever met. Uh, and so that was so key in in what happened afterwards so he doesn't like competitions he doesn't like traveling he doesn't like training camps any of that stuff but he really loves preparing being in the gym training yeah yeah and so when i when i asked can i kg can i help you with ellie he's like yeah sure like can i do this this and this yeah no problem and then i just started helping more kind of you know can i take her to this competitions yeah please and then you know I, i just gradually took over more and more and he was you know fine to let that happen. And mm. this is the best athlete he's ever had. And to, you know, for me thinking for my, for my career, if I had, uh, you know, the best athlete I've ever, I'm ever going to have, and somebody else wants to come in and, and start working with them and, you know, eventually maybe take over and yep. go do everything with them. I, I would be probably, eh, mm-hmm. like you can help a little bit, but, yeah, 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 sure. but he, Understandable. he was, uh, selfless. Yeah. Selfless. Mm. And, um, there were some things that for sure I could help her with that I was better than than him. But uh, so he he allowed that to happen, which is which is amazing because and we were from the same club and everything. And uh, so that part was was easier. Uh, but yeah, just thinking back, that was an amazing, yeah, amazing thing yeah. that he that he did and continues to do. Uh, yeah. And so he's he's the. The most or the least ego of, mm-hmm. of anybody yeah yeah awesome david this has been a, a very interesting podcast thanks buddy thanks for Thank joining you me very much yeah i mean i've learned a lot today i've learned a lot about you because obviously we'd we'd never we'd met a, a couple of times at events and things but we'd never really had a conversation so um it's been good spending time with you and listening to your presentations today um definitely been good here about hearing more about your story so um thanks for spending the time to do this i really appreciate well, it thanks for the opportunity absolute pleasure and of course wishing you and the rest of uh, team canada and ellie the best of luck moving forwards into 2020 thank you very much cheers buddy all right bye-bye Thanks for listening to the Gymnastics Growth Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes or your chosen podcast player, subscribe, leave a review and share the show with your network. See you next time.